0: that means being truth tellers of life and and being like, you know, today might be rough, but here's what we're going to do together. And, you know, here's happiness. It's right in front of us. All of the theories of investing in being the best version of yourself.
1: You're listening to Small Minded, the podcast that believes being small is a good thing because small steps lead to big impact. Small towns have a big heart and small businesses play a big role. In our modern way of life. I'm your host, Molly Knuth, and here at Small Minded, we share stories and strategies to help small towns and small businesses flourish. Here's to a life well lived being small minded. Welcome back to another edition of the Small Minded podcast. Today, I welcome my friend, mentor, role model, Kelly Simon, who is the director of the CIA, just kidding, she is the director of curriculum, instruction, and assessment, so CIA is a very good acronym, at Western Dubuque Community School District here in eastern Iowa. Now, for a lot of reasons, the school district is highly unique. It is the largest district in the state of Iowa by square miles. It also has two high schools, a middle school, a handful of elementary schools for a total student population of around 3,000, which makes it comparable to some of the metro school sizes, but it serves small towns. And with that unique layout, Kelly, as the director of the CIA, has had some really cool things put in front of her. Some of them have been highly advantageous to her role, and some have proved to be a struggle, which you'll hear a lot about in today's episode. But listener, I caution you not to just put this episode on and like just meander through your day with half an ear. Kelly is going to inspire you. She is going to tell you the truth, and she's going to make you excited to pursue happiness. Yes, at the forefront of this episode, it looks like it's going to be about small town education. But it truly gets into something so much deeper, like around minute two. So make sure that you are ready for this listener. And I am so thrilled and excited to hear your feedback on this episode with my friend, Kelly Simon. I am so excited to welcome you to the podcast, Kelly. Thank you so much for being here.
0: Molly, thank you so much. I love that you're taking time to focus on education and school and all of the important stuff that goes around that.
1: I have known Kelly, well, I guess if we back this all the way up, I've known you for probably most of my life. Like your brother and my parents were great friends. And I remember like just knowing you, but then like, as I got into my professional training and like my college education, then you and I got to be good friends. You were mentoring me, things like that. So we have a pretty close connection through the education community in this area.
0: In the benefits of small-town living.
1: Yes, exactly, 100%. So before we dive into that too far, can you back us up? Tell us a little bit more about who you are, your role in the district, and like maybe your journey that took you to this place.
0: Absolutely. So gosh, we're going to start already with me and my theories. That's honestly the hardest question that I'm ever asked. And I just came to this conclusion over the last few years. I'll, I'll make it short. First, and then I'll go to my real answer. So, obviously, introducing me, you know my name, my role in the district of the director of curriculum instruction and assessment, which I secretly like to call the director of the CIA, but <laughs> puts way too much importance on what I do. Our district is super unique. We are um, compromised of eight schools: two high schools, a middle school, and the rest elementary. But the cool part is. We cover 555 square miles. So the really cool part of our district is although we are, you know, 3000 plus students, the better part is we're spread out over multiple small communities. So the best part of my job is to get to travel around to each of the schools in a weekly basis and be a part of so many different small towns that all come together with the same district and the same belief system. And, you know, like the same love of who they are, where they live and where they go to school. Now, backing up, I'm also a mother and wife. And obviously from, I would think, my introduction and my voice, a female leader, which I point out because that is uh, something that I'm very proud of because it comes with a lot of struggle. So going back to the question of who are you? I have struggled with that question for years, Molly. (laughs) And (laughs) my conclusion these days is that the reason I struggle with that question is I've always been trying to define it with like titles and degrees and roles. And I think the problem on why I can't ever put my finger on perfectly defining who I am is because I actually think it's the wrong question. I think it it leads us to believe that we will ever be defined by like a role we have, whether that's a job or being a mother or a sister or a wife. And like, you know, we're so much more than our roles. And so it's always one where I just kind of choke a little bit like, well, this is what I do. You know, these are the people that I serve. These are the people that I love. But I think the better question, and I think this is the question we need to start asking our kids, is like, what are you willing to struggle for in life? You know, like, what pain are you willing to sustain? Because if we ask them, like, who are you? Or we more ask our kids, who do you want to be? Right? Or what do you want out of life? And then they say all the simple things like, I want to be happy. I want to be a mom. Like, I want a good job. Or when they get into their teenage years, they're like, I want to be rich. Like, you know, I want to be an influencer. Like I want, and they, again, start throwing out titles. And so I've just been thinking about this a lot with kids. And I'm like, okay, we're totally leading them down the wrong path. Because already we're leading them to think that they're defined by a title. And not only that, but do they know that to hold that title is a whole, like, there's so much suck that goes with that, right? And I know, Molly, you've talked about this in, like, other podcasts you've had and stuff. Okay, entrepreneur, mom, you know, wife, in a small town, supporter of all other things small town, like... Yeah, looks pretty glamorous, and you do you do little segments on like Instagram and stuff where you're like, um, here's behind the scenes, guys. <laughs> if anybody cute. watches my stories, they know yeah. it's far from glamorous. Yes, yeah, not not always cute. Yeah, sometimes just gross, right? But our kids don't get that, right? So you know, like my 13 year old daughter said to me one time, like, mom, like, I think I want a job like yours one day. Like, you get to get up in front of people and give cool speeches, like. You support the principals, you support the teachers, like you do all that. And like a little bit of me got a little teary and not like, oh, I'm so proud that I'm a good role model. I was more like, are you strong enough, Kennedy? Like, can you? Because do you know what it takes to be like constantly in a spotlight where, you know, you are judged? And I know that I am judged from the size of my high heels to the fitting of my skirt or pants, to whether my hair is up or down, to the color of my lipstick, much less the words that come out of my mouth, because I know that that's what it's like to be a female leader. So, you know, they'll say things like, oh, you know, like I want to I want a marriage like you and dad, like awesome. Do you know how much compromise that takes? (laughs) Like. Endless communication is exhausting. It's exhausting. Is it worth it?
1: Absolutely.
0: But do they know like the struggle and the pain and the constant sometimes suffering, you know, that yes, it is worth it. And yes, that's where happiness, you know, is for me. But are we sending the right message when it's like in a simple title that we can say or even, you know, with like what they see on the surface? So like, geez, what are we two minutes into this podcast and I've already spent the full time analyzing your first question. And all I should have said is like, I'm a mom and a wife and the director of curriculum for Western Dubuque.
1: (laughs) No, I love this for so many reasons, because number one, the reason I started this podcast and with this purpose in particular is because so many people in these small towns are, like you said, boiled down into a title. And. In real life, we are doing so much, yeah. like to keep this all together and to yep. get these things done. So now I'm reevaluating my question line, but in a good way. <laughs> no,
0: and I think it, honestly, like, I think
1: that's, it is,
0: it's just a part of, of what we've always asked, right? And as an overanalyzer and multiple times overthinker, it's like, is that where the struggle is? Because I can't answer that. Easily. Like I can. It's the same thing as saying like, Molly, how are you? And you're like, fine. Great. Mm
1: -hmm. Well, that's not true.
0: That's not true. You might be awesome, but you answer fine or great. You might be miserable, but you answer fine or great. You know, it's just like our default. Now, I don't think you're going to march around life and just be like, what are you willing to struggle for? You know, you're going to become that person. That's not going to become the new normal question or anything. I just think when we're.
1: I kind of you know, like it. I, I like that question a lot.
0: When we're given an opportunity to have maybe a deeper conversation with each other as adults, and really in my line of work, more importantly, with our children, I just think the question does need to go a step further. I get the awesome opportunity to talk with classrooms or specifically graduates. And for whatever reason, I get asked a lot to talk with um, athletic teams, like before big events or whatever. I guess I kind of have a reputation as being a motivational speaker, although all I really am is a truth teller. So I guess that's
1: (laughs) unique. That's a good thing,
0: though. Well, it's unique, which is scary. Anyway, in a lot of those conversations, like that's a lot what we talk about. Like, I'll say, like, I know you want to win tomorrow night. Like, I know you want to come home with the title. I know you want to make it to whatever that thing is. But like, let's talk a little bit more about why. Like, who cares anyway? And you know what? Every time they're like, well, nobody's ever asked that. Well, and that's what's kind of like, why is nobody ever asked? Because you do care, but why don't we ever take the conversation like that one step further?
1: Oh, Kelly, I could just like dig into this so many different ways. Right? I love it. That's- I feel like, okay, now end the podcast right here. <laughs> mm-hmm. But oh, I'm I'm so excited for where this is going to take us for the rest of these questions too. So in my experience with you, so you started off like, we're just going to do surface level and then we'll dig into some more of the depth in these questions. So, when you went to school, you went to the University of Northern Iowa for teaching and then you went where from there? Okay, great question. Let's
0: back up a second though because I think this okay. is also important to small town living in, you know, the the idea of you can fulfill your dreams in your small town, you know, that mm-hmm. idea of not only Do I need the title, but I also need the bigger, better city or whatever. So what is also unique about you and I, Molly, is that, yeah, we both grew up in the same small town that we currently live in and raise our families in, which I would push to say, I don't know, but I would push to say in theory would be easier if you grew up a very polished young teenager and (laughs) didn't maybe carry a little bit of a reputation with you into your adulthood. Again, don't know because that wasn't me, but I would think in theory it would make it easier where I would say, like, some of my life choices would make me the uh, epitome of cross Canadian ragweed song of like, you're always 17 in your hometown. Um, Mm -hmm. That actually beyond my schooling has been one of the biggest um, accomplishments, I would say, in my career, because as a student. I was I was terrible. Like I I was I'm not a great kid. Funny as I'll get out, you know, a great time, Um, all of those things. But as far as like academic and you know what teachers may have thought of me, not so much. My superintendent Rick Colpitz and I do a lot of speeches together, and one of our favorite ones to do because not only because it's the truth, because it holds huge shock value is both of us actually were told by our high school guidance counselor that we weren't college material.
1: Mm, that is so it, like hard well, actually, as a kid to absorb. Like
0: I like I remember sitting there with a pretty heavy amount of ownership. Like it didn't necessarily make me angry. It really um yeah, it made me own it. Like I kind of looked and thought yeah, I deserve that. Now, down deep, I thought, but you're effing wrong, right? But like, <laughs> that's, I, you got to own that. Like, look at your choices, your grades, you know, your, what you do all weekend, you know, what, like, this is, this is the path that you've chosen, Kelly. You've either gotten kicked off of every sports team or quit. Like, this is what you've done to yourself. But also having the theory of like, But I don't really think that's me. I think that's just the choices I've made. And then forging forward, getting accepted into college, and then opening my eyes like, well, the farmer's daughter is going to have to pay for this herself. So you better be figuring this out and screw your head on tight. And then getting nearly straight A's all through college. Like it was always there. It's just one of those ideas that we talk with teachers all the time, like careful labeling potential at this point. Just because Mm -hmm. that is their output right now for you does not mean that is their potential output. You know, like very very, rarely do
1: kids peak in their high school years. And I feel like to go along with what you're saying about labeling and acknowledging like the amount of potential they have right now. I am so leery of doing that because there's so much life left to live when a kid's only 16, 17, 18 years old. That's a huge amount of pressure to put on them.
0: Huge, huge. And especially now, like what their living situation is or what they're going through and their coping mechanisms or lack thereof. And to know that, like, look at how much we've grown since we were that age. I don't know that anyone would paint us into the current roles that we are in. Right. So I think that, you know, really needs to be understood that then when uh, Jason and I got married and got pregnant pretty fast on planned, um, we were like, shoot, where are we going to raise this family? And we couldn't deny that this was the place. This was the place that loved us through our upbringing, and we wanted that same pride and love in in our our own family's upbringing. So we chose to stay. But obviously, then working through the ranks of teaching and then into administration, given the story I just told about myself, like my first year as an administrator. I still had probably five or six of of my past teachers in the school district that hadn't retired yet or moved on or whatever. So standing in front of them saying like, hoopla, let's go. Let's start a new school year. I believe in you. I believe in education. You are a game changer, you know, and them looking at me like, Kelly, that's the same person. Is that the same? And like having to be like, yeah. I am the same person on my own journey of growth, right? And I just got there way after when you had me in class, you know, doesn't mean you didn't make an impact on me doesn't mean I didn't learn from you just meant like my time to show that or or shine or whatever hadn't come yet. But that was probably there's been many hard points of my career, obviously, but that was one of them Where like, yeah, you got to go back and face the music, Simon, like, you got to go back and face the music. And honestly, I think that's one of the best and most humbling parts of small town living. You don't hide from it. So Mm -hmm. you fess up, you apologize, you, you know, have moments of humility, and then they keep loving you. Like you embrace it, you move forward, you don't run, you don't, you know, move to a new side of town.
1: It's oh, 100% you can't like, The person that you've maybe made an ass out of yourself in front of on Saturday night at the bar, you might work with that person, Mm -hmm. or maybe they're coming to like fix your kitchen, whatever. But it's like, yeah, in a small town, you can't escape the mistakes that you've made. And And so you have to grow past them.
0: Right. Because you can only own it and grow up to it if you're really like around the people that experienced it with you, right? Because anybody can be like, oh, I'm really sorry about that 10 years later when nobody else is around to like be with the people, like you said, that you fell on your face in front of, like that's humility. There it is. And so I don't know, but I personally think that's where you'll see the biggest growth.
1: And that's totally something that like continues. And I love that you bring up like the journey and the development and the growth and how it's not like limited to a specific part of your life. It's not limited to your college years. And then you get your degree and oh my gosh, I'm here. I've made it. Like that's something I remember like yeah. When I was teaching in town and then I'd go to the bar and I'd be like, oh my gosh, I know I talked to this person and I know I said some stuff and I'm so embarrassed. And then it's like, okay, I got to go face the music and I got it. But, and then even at that point, like I was in my early to mid twenties and I'm like now in my mid thirties, like I've grown so much and I would take so much more ownership today. And it's just like that growth in that journey to like leaning into yourself and being humble and, being wise to the ways of the small town world. Like that just comes with time and you don't like just magically get it. Yeah.
0: And I'm definitely not saying like other school districts maybe that have superintendents or curriculum directors or administration that like took the straight and narrow path and figured themselves out like, they're great, I'm sure. But I I do honestly think having a superintendent like we have that shared some similar stories as to what we're talking about myself and constantly talking to our administrators and our teachers about that is it really makes our district unique because we're very careful to label or push aside or give up on or, you know, any student for any reason, you know, because there's people that are leading the district that that would have, you know, like we could have been crushed by that weight. We were strong enough to sustain it and push through it and, or, or go forward in spite of it. But we, as long as we run this district, will never allow that to happen knowingly to one of our students. And I really do think that makes us unique. Like our students feel that belief in them and know that like we're not giving up on you and we may not even see you make the change if it ever happens. We still believe you will and will love you in spite of it, which, you know, I think it is just. A really cool part and a benefit of having public schools in the communities, of having, you know, the teachers, most of them live and work within the communities, is that, you know, we can't do it alone. Schools can't do it alone. But really, parents can't do it alone either. It is a partnership. And that's not just a slogan. It truly is. We have to work together. And I just... I experienced that so much in the small town
1: atmosphere. Oh, I love that. And I know that, well, okay, let me back up just a second. How long have you been in the administrative side at the district? Eight years. Okay. Yeah, and, and I in that 10, time. So
0: I'm about, I'm getting close to splitting 50-50, which is kind of scary to me. Yeah.
1: <laughs> but that's awesome. I love it. So, one of the things why I asked how long you've been with the district is because one of the things that makes our district in this area so unique, I think, is the retention of the teachers and the staff. Like, it is a sought out position when there is an opening in Western Dubuque Community Schools. Like, I don't, you guys get dozens, if not hundreds of applications. And it's like a sought out position among the education community because you serve great families, you serve great students, but also you guys have like this Orange frog theory, which you can speak to in a little bit, and just like people come here, they want to stay here, and then they make their kids and their communities better. And they want to come back. Like I love,
0: so just this morning we were working with 20 of our new hires, and another administrator and I who have been in the district for a while sat there and went through and out of 20 between the two of us had 16 of them as past students.
1: That's awesome.
0: It's crazy. And they're not all, we didn't just hire all year one teachers. So they're not just coming back from us right from college. You know, they're going out and living other places and exploring other things and then coming back. And what is that pull, right? And I think it is exactly what you're talking about. That retention, that idea of retention is all about that pride. That can't be recreated somewhere else. I mean, it can be obviously, but it's extremely hard. Like all of the theories of like cougar pride, bobcat pride, once a bobcat, always a bobcat, once a cougar, like those are sayings that feelings come with, right? Mm-hmm. And and yeah. you you only know if you know. And I think that no matter where you're listening to this podcast at, just take a minute to think back to your educational experience and If you're fortunate enough then to like send your own kids back to those schools or whatever, that sense of pride, there's no fault of the larger school districts and the larger schools. I just don't know that they can recreate it. And it's definitely shown in like, let's say academic or fine arts events. The small town schools, the 1A, 2A, 3A schools, our stands are packed. Packed. Mm -hmm. I'll just take like basketball for an example. Packed, wedged. And you scan it and, you know, looking at the people who are there, there are a number of people that have no relative playing, no son, daughter, grandkid, neighbor's kid. They actually have literally no connection to the student athletes or the the student performers, except the fact that they live in the same hometown. They live in that same small town. And, And so they support it because of that pride. And, you know, in some of our schools, we'll travel to the, you know, the bigger towns or whatever to play against them. And you just, your heart breaks a little bit for the larger team that we're facing in the handful of people in their stands, or especially when they come to us and the fact that like they don't travel to come support their athletes. Like my own kids, my oldest is 16 year old, going to be a junior. She'll talk about all the time. Like, why don't they, why is it so different? And I'll say like, Dev, it's hard to explain, you know, like I'll just use the word pride and you just got to continue to like live through what that means because there's no one definition, but it's a feeling. And when you are out there in the court and you look up and you see all those people, there supporting you.
1: That's that feeling of pride. There it is. That's what it is. Mm -hmm. And it's like you said, it's so hard to explain, but it's a feeling that you get. And you can like, as you were talking about, like, I feel it, but I can't like put it into words. Right. But it does feel like sometimes like we have this little bubble of community pride that we live in and we're like, we do love our schools and like people support them. And like, you don't have to look very far. I could throw a rock right now and I could hit six businesses that give their money freely to our schools and athletes. And it's like, that's hard to replicate. I would imagine in a larger community where some of these businesses are very removed from students, whereas here in this community and in the small communities that make up the district, there's so many connections and people are willing and ready to put their money where their mouth is and support our schools.
0: Well, and like we talked about how our people going to school for education are wanting to come back and teach for us. Our businesses realize that they want the bank tellers to come back and work for them. They want in the manufacturing industry, they want it at our grocery stores, like they realize too, we want to hire you. So, if we don't support you in your education and in your upbringing, you know are what are our chances of you coming back and working for any of us, schools or otherwise? So you know it, it they do understand that it is an investment, right? And so like the best part about working education is that I would say, you know, I am a salesperson, I am a business manager, I am all of those things, but the cool thing is, my product is people. And, you know, so that's what I get to invest in. And that's also what our output is, is just doing whatever we can to make our output the highest quality, best version. It's just an actual person rather than, you know, like a standalone product. And I mean, talk about an empowering thought. And so, you know, the fact that that's what we talk to our teachers about you know, of course they're going in there every day thinking like, my job is the
1: most important job. Darn right. Because your output is people. Oh, Kelly, that's so awesome. Because we know like being a teacher is not an easy job. Like you said, what are you willing to struggle through? Like if you choose education, if you choose to be a teacher, like that is a struggle. And you go in with all, like you were talking about your new hires, like they are so excited to be part of the district and to be starting out. But like, you know, there's probably going to be struggles ahead, and. When you came on as the admin side, that was also when I was starting in the district. And I remember one of the main tenants or one of the big goals you had, like we had all these different schools, right? And so that can be a really cool thing about the district, but that can also be a struggle. And I remember one of your big things was saying, okay, this is what's working well in this school. It's not working as well over in this school. How can we increase communications and get everybody working in the same direction? Like I can see the visual that you put together on your PowerPoint and like all these arrows were going different ways. And then in the next slide, they're all facing the same direction. So can you walk us through like, I know this is going to be way more in depth than what I'm asking you to cover, but like, then you can go into Orange Frog too. But when you were coming into the district, what were some of your key goals that you wanted to achieve? And then what were some of the big things that you've been able to accomplish towards those goals?
0: Great question. So one of the things that pulled me into administration is the, the idea that I loved the fact that I had control over my classroom, right? My however many students I saw in a given year. And that idea that I could do what I wanted to do and take them as far as I could possibly take them. But there was a realization a few years in that maybe in theory, not all teachers in every classroom taught that way or thought that way or entered each day with that kind of passion or that kind of vision. And it was like a little bit like defeating. It was like, well, I mean, I'm going to work my tail off and I'm going to do my best. But if you across the hall aren't also, man, I feel like my impact then is limited. So that's what kind of like planted the seed of, well, is there something you could do then to support that teacher too? So they entered each day with that same desire that you are. And that's when it was like, well, I think that's probably administration, right? You know, because whether that would be a building or a district or any of the things. So that's where that original seed came from. Entering administration then, I quickly caught on to A past group of administrators that liked to constantly highlight one or two buildings or one or two principles or one or two areas and really hang their hat on that success. And it didn't take me long to have that same parental feeling that any parent out there knows, and this is not a cliche saying, that you're only as happy as your saddest child. We all know that any mm. parent that's listening to this right now, you're like, "Oh, amen, I oh, know, yeah. and it's terrible, but it it's just true. It, it's birthright to parenthood, right? I quickly felt that as an administrator. we're only as good as our weakest school, or we're only as good as our you know like worst implementation plan or you know whatever, and it's like, so hang your hat on that all you want, but if we're not all moving toward that, then you know. It's like picking your favorite child and then kicking the other one's like, no. And so that's really, you know, like that theory I stand behind on just like as a protective mother, we're all going to get there. And yeah, do some of the dynamics of our schools, you know, make it harder, whether it's the age we teach? I mean, let's face it, middle school, we both know like, wow, right? Or just um, some of the, you know, small town community dynamics of maybe the low social economic status or just different struggles like that, that maybe make the hill a little harder to climb, but that just means that what supports do they need? Doesn't mean they can't climb the hill, just means maybe their path looks different or the support they have is different. But you shake all of that out and you go back to the roots of what we've been talking about, where it is people, not programs. I can throw all the one-to-one computer devices, all the fancy books, all the new paint on the walls, all the snacks and the water bottles at any school I want. And if we do not have teachers that are passionate and dedicated and taking care of themselves as human beings, then all of the fancy supports in the world, all of the funding streams don't make a difference. And so that's Mm -hmm. really what's behind our happiness advantage or orange frog culture work that we do. It is a complete and 100% investment in them as a person. We do a couple day training. We don't even talk about their jobs. We talk nothing about teaching. We talk nothing about curriculum. We talk nothing about technology. It is 100% about them as a human being, about what their values are and if they're honoring their values or if they're off some way, you know, about how to handle adversity, because that's actually where happiness lies, you know, and that whole journey of just life and knowing that, no, you don't fake happiness. It's right in front of you amongst all the struggle and adversity. That's what it is. It's the journey, but you got to take care of yourself. And by take care of yourself, I don't mean like, oh, okay, so I'll make sure like I take a day off. No, like daily. Are you getting enough sleep? Are you exercising? Are you, you know, again, aligned to your values? Are you living, you know, your best version, right? And if not, then how are you showing up best for 30 to 200 kids that are walking through your classroom on a given day? And knowing that if we don't get that right, all the other stuff just is Band-Aids, right? And so that's our hardest work. That's our best work and then we put those adults in front of our students and our kids, and they start to pick up on that. Doesn't mean you don't have bad days. It just means you know it, you know how to handle it, you know the
1: tools to deal with it,
0: and you can also start teaching the kids that. Yes,
1: yes, and uh, I I think this is like one of the big things that any person listening can take away from this. Like, Happiness is there, and sometimes it's hidden behind struggle, but damn, it feels good when you find it.
0: 90% of the time, it's hidden behind struggle. Really, mm-hmm. you know, it is. It's It's just, that's what it is. That's That is life, right? And, you mm-hmm. know, the hardest part about the discovery of living that way is that it is so simple that it's hard to let people in on it and understand it and not want to poke holes in it and almost like find weakness in it or even like not even like you anymore because of that's, you know, like, Oh, you're just happy all the time. No, no. On a scale of one to 10, I'm very rarely a 10. I am very often a six. I am sometimes a three, but guess what? I can say that because I actually know, what a 10 is, what a six is, and what a three is for me, because I've invested in myself Mm -hmm. and I know what that is. And I know on a given day, if I'm a three, because, you know, I got a speeding ticket again on my way to work. Like I know how I can at least show up a five. I might not be a 10 today, but I have the tools to at least notch up a couple and then be honest and be like, I'm at a five today, but I'm not spreading that. Like, I'm not going to complain to all you about my speeding ticket. I'm owning it. I stepped up like, you know, and so that idea of like the not venting and things like that, sharing problems and concerns when we're problem solving, but not just like, you know, word puking all over people because we had a rough morning. But it is that idea of the I'm sure you've heard and all the listeners have heard of like the crabs in the bucket theory or mentality, right? If we were on um, Armchair Expert, they totally fact check me after this, but. You know, like the idea, whether it's true or not, I don't know. There's a theory out there that you put one crab, a fisherman puts one crab in a bucket and you have to put a lid on it because that crab will crawl its way out or claw its way out if it's by itself. You put more than one crab in the bucket, two or three are in there. You no longer have to put a lid on it because if the one tries to claw its way out, the others will pull it back down and you will truly find that. In our society, when we have like kind of started to figure some of this stuff out, and it's like, I can make my way through adversity. I can be happy anyway. It's right here in front of me. I've discovered it. And people around you are like, oh no, come back down here where we bitch and complain all the time. This is where <laughs> it's comfortable. It's comfortable right here when we just talk about people, not to people. It's comfortable down here when we hate administrators, not befriend them. It's comfortable down here where we don't actually love our students, we just tolerate them. And they like to go back to that. And it's like, wow. So, you know, crabs in a bucket, it's a true, whether it's really true with crabs, don't know, but it is a mentality that people hold because I think they're afraid to admit it's actually as simple
1: as you choose it. Well, and I think we've all, whether we've been in education or not, we've all probably been in a workplace where like either the job was made so much better because of the people you worked with, or it was made so much suckier because of the people you worked with. And when you're invested in a product like you guys are of people and not just people, but like young people, like you don't have margin for error. Like you cannot just, you can't come in with a shitty attitude every day. You got to check yourself at the door. And I think that happiness advantage training For your administrators, for your teachers. I know the school board went through it. Like, it was just something that lit everybody up. And then it has that trickle down effect into the classrooms and into the hallways of your schools. And I was telling Kelly before we recorded, like, I walked through the elementary school a couple months ago, and like, the feeling was just palpable. The excitement in the hallways, like, the positivity. Every teacher came to the door, they're like, hey, they're so excited. And it was like, this is just, a good place. Like, it's so good.
0: Especially like when you connect it to like, other like adult workplaces. I mean, as hard as it is to quit a job and go somewhere else as an adult, we have that option, right? Our kids really don't, you know, I mean, it's up to their parents. But you know, like, so how fair is it to them to show up to their quote, workplace every day, and be surrounded by adults that don't want to be there? And so, like, that's the hill I'll die on. I will die on the hill to make sure that the students that are sent to us are sent to adults that choose to be there. Now, out of 500 employees, are we at 100%? No. You know, some of them, this takes a little bit longer, crabs in a bucket. But that is our mission, you know, to put adults in front of our students that teach them more than the academics. You know, and that means being truth tellers of life and and being like, you know, today might be rough, but here's what we're going to do together. And, you know, here's happiness. It's right in front of us. All of the theories of investing and being the best version of yourself.
1: Okay. I have a thousand other questions, but I feel like that's where we have to. That's it. That tied it up. That's the interview. Kelly, you are awesome. Can you remind us? Well, we're going to have the small talk round. I have that with every guest on the episode. But can you remind us where people can follow along with what you're doing, with what the district's doing, where they can find you online, et cetera?
0: Absolutely. So our, our district that we keep referring to, this this magical Mecca, second happiest place in the world, you know, next to Disney. We are
1: gonna see such an influx of population after this episode. I guarantee it.
0: Well, Dyersville is one of our communities that if we build it, they will come. So it does make a lot of sense, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so we're Western Dubuque Community School District. You can find us at wdbq um, or hashtag W-D-B-Q-Schools. My Twitter handle is at Kelly Jo, J-O, Simon, because every strong woman has the middle name, Joe, I believe, at least. It's True. Some <laughs> of them that I know. Uh, anyway, so, the, and there's, you know, the, our websites and, and all of those places. But honestly, your best bet is to find a way to come visit us. Because like Molly said, like you can follow things and you can see things. I want you to come feel it. You know, whether you're in education and you're like, you know, hey, let's go figure out what this is, come visit us, or you're somewhere close and you wanna, you know, transfer your kids, whatever it is.
1: (laughs) Love it. All right. So now we're gonna enter the small talk round, Cal. And this is just like off the cuff, random questions that I'm just coming up with from my brain. You just give me the first thing that comes to your mind, okay? Got it. All right. Question number one What's the best thing you've done so far this summer? Ooh,
0: so I took last week off, which was actually the first week I took off since last March when we went into pandemic planning. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Good for you. Yeah. So I did a staycation and, you know, did golf, kayak, cleaned my house, sat in my hot tub, played with my kids. Well, play. They're 16, 14, and 10. So that version of play. It was awesome. And it was just like a lot of me time and a lot of time at home. And, you know, the best vacation quote that I could have ever taken is the best.
1: I don't want to project my feelings on you, but like as someone who is like constantly surrounded by people and you're highly self-motivated and you're always tackling the next big thing, I bet it felt so good to just pause.
0: After about 72 hours of high anxiety of like, should I check my email? I should check my email. Oh, I should respond to that email. Oh, I should just like type that thing up real quick. After coming down from that and like, just actually pressing the off button, then it felt amazing. But I, I won't lie, it did take me about half of the week to get to that.
1: <laughs> it's because you love what you do. I know. And it's hard to shut off. <laughs> I don't want to shut it off. All right. Question number two. What is something you do for yourself every day to maintain your happiness? Exercise. I cannot sell you have it. have a preferred exercise? Um...
0: Uh, running, slash walking, um, anything outdoors, but my preferred, no matter what the activity is, my preferred, and you're not going to love this, is as long as it is at 4.15 in the morning, because that is such a, it's, I know, it's, God, listeners, if you can see the look, it's, <laughs> it's because it's me time, and I don't have to have or carry the concern or worry that I'm being selfish. Because at 4.15, none of the people I love care about me because they are all sleeping. So they don't care that I am not with them, serving them, doing their laundry, driving them someplace, talking with them, responding to their emails. Nobody cares at 4.15. So it can be that complete feeling of like, this is me. And I have technically as long as I want, but at minimum an hour to an hour and a half to just do this thing. So that, I mean, it. You know, it took a while to like program the body to want to pop out of bed at that time. But you know, there's a variety of exercise things I will do then. But that is the definitely my preferred time, just so I don't have to have that weighing over me.
1: I only give you a look because I do like the five to five thirty a.m. time frame. But like four fifteen, that sounds so much earlier. Really. <laughs> so sorry for my facial expressions. I'm not good at hiding them. <laughs> All right. Question number three. What's a book or a podcast that you recommend to everybody who will listen to you?
0: Well, besides this one.
1: <laughs> okay. That's what I was going for.
0: <laughs> um, Oh, Mayan, I just got done reading the book, um, Think Again. Adam Grant, I believe. Awesome. Okay. I haven't read him before, but I've heard so many things about him. Please do. You'll love it. This is... Um, I'll try to say it politely on air, but The Subtle Art of Not Giving an F by Mark Manson. That's a really good one. That's like really where that rocket bomb of a brain theory came of like we're asking our kids the wrong question when we're not asking them, what are you willing to struggle for? A lot of that theory came from that. podcast. you know, I mentioned Armchair Expert. I just really like Dax and and his variety of who he interviews. Um, I also, Glennon Doyle just started a podcast. And I referred to myself earlier as a truth teller. I ain't nothing compared to Glennon, like her truth telling ability and her ability to just like talk the talk and say the thing that needs to be said is very honorable. So I'm sure, I mean, those are really like famous ones. So they're probably not new to listeners, but they're just those good ones that go on a walk, go on a run, you know, move your body and push play on any of those and promise you You will rarely hit stop or pause or end it, not feeling like a slightly better version of a human being.
1: I love that. Okay, we're going to have the last question. What is something that you have a goal to struggle through this coming school year?
0: So many. This is twisted, but moving ahead with normalcy and not moving back to normalcy. Obviously, in the world of education, uh, you know, like I want things to be normal again, you know, but I don't want to go back to what normal was, because obviously with every big, ugly mess that's handed to us in life, this time disguised as a pandemic, the idea would be that we come out on the other side better. And so I, I don't really love when people are like, oh, we're going to be back to normal. Like, I never want to use the, the term back to anything. Yeah, we can have like normalcy as far as hopefully our kids aren't in masks and we're not social distancing and like, yeah, those things. But as far as like, and I don't really like the term new normal, but you know, whatever, that's just because it's cliche right now. But I'm just trying to, my biggest thing that I can't wait to struggle for is to continue to use the lessons of what we've learned to be better human beings and yet go to a place that feels like normal schooling again. And, you know, so our new normal per se is, <laughs> is gonna, it's, it's our next struggle. It, believe it or not, it's not just easy to slip right back into because I don't want to go back to so keep pushing forward.
1: Oh, that is so good. I, again, if listeners could see, like, I was like, oh God, that was a good answer. Cause yeah, we don't want to go back to the way no. things were because the we way things were, hard. some things didn't work and some yeah, things we weren't did. the right focus. Mm-hmm.
0: And we should learn just like that, you know, like to be calmer, more understanding humans, because you never know when, you know, it's going to be taken away in some way, shape or form. Right. So anyway, there's just a lot of those things like, no, to go back means we forget what we just experienced. And although it wasn't good, we don't want to forget it. So what does that mean for us?
1: Oh, so good. Well, Kelly, thanks again for being here. I feel fired up. Like, I was going to go home after this and like, maybe just take the afternoon off, but now I'm like all fired up. Like, you are a motivational speaker. But just do something really cool. (laughs) Well, thank you so, so much. I appreciate your time. Thank
0: you, Molly. I appreciate it as well. Take care, listeners.
1: Hey there, thank you so much for tuning in to another edition of the Small Minded Podcast, the place on the internet where we celebrate small towns, small businesses, and the people who love them. If you enjoyed this episode, we would be forever grateful to have a review of your experience over on iTunes, Spotify, our website, or wherever you tuned in today. And as always, we welcome you sharing this podcast with your friends and family on social. You can find us on Instagram and Facebook at Small minded Podcast or at mollyknuthmedia.com slash podcast. Please go out, make today a good one. Take a small step towards a bigger impact. Here's to a life well-lived being small-minded.